scripture that many of you know from memory. It's one that's quoted often, very familiar, powerful truth. But I want us to unpack a couple of truths the Lord's laid on my heart for you this morning from this passage. Now keep your Bibles handy uh, because we're going to be looking at several different Bible verses um, in the context of this word this morning. So Romans chapter 12 is where we will uh, begin. I want to speak to you this morning about a Christian world view. And you know, really, that's sort of what I was talking about last Sunday whenever we were talking. Uh, I shared with you a message entitled, Every Child Deserves a Birthday. And by the way, I don't know of any message that I've ever preached, ever, uh, that I've had so much feedback from and uh, so many people wanting to know how they can go online and listen and hear that, that uh, word from last Sunday. So if, if you want to, you can go to our website, our church website. You can click Media Resource tab. It'll drop down. You can click Sermons. And the title of the message is Every Child Deserves a Birthday. Uh, but uh, a lot of response. And, and i got to tell you, I'm very encouraged because uh, sometimes after a message like that, the response is uh, some is, is negative, but every overwhelmingly very positive. So I'm encouraged by that. But that was a Christian worldview on a particular subject. This morning I want to talk about what it means to have a Christian worldview. And this is what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, our key verse this morning is going to be verse 2, where he talks about be not conformed to this world. Now, later uh, in a few weeks, perhaps, we're going to talk about renewing of the mind, and we're going to talk about the perfect will of God. But today... Uh, and probably again next Sunday, we're going to visit this topic and this passage. Be not conformed to this world. So the first instruction we have relative to the world is that we shouldn't be conformed to it. Uh, we shouldn't go along with it. We shouldn't let it influence us. That's what he's saying here. But there's more. I want you to go to James now, and uh, we're going to look in James chapter 4. Uh, Brother John is teaching the book of James on Wednesday nights, and there's so much truth here. And So I'm going to just make a brief comment here and try not to mess up all the good things he'll be sharing with you about this passage. But look, if you will, in James chapter 4 and verse 3 and 4. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. You adulterers and adulteress, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Can you imagine such a statement? So we've learned two things about the world so far. We've learned that we're not to be conformed to the world. And we've learned that we're not to be a friend. To the world. Now I want you to go to 1 John, and that's over towards Revelation. It's the 
uh, uh, first, second, third John, uh, as opposed to the Gospel of John. So let's go to First John chapter two. And look, if you will, in verse 15 and following. <clears throat> Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you get the sense from these verses that God takes serious our relationship to the world, our perspective on the world? I mean, he said, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy with God. That's pretty hard words. And here he says, love not the world. And if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. That's pretty hard words. Look, if you will, in verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Well, what in the world is wrong with the world? Because apparently something is. For God to take such a strong stand about our relationship to the world. What in the world is happening? Have you ever had that thought? I mean, just a side note, a secular thought. What in the world is happening? I, I remember one time that question just exploded in my brain. I remember, uh, and, and I'm sure I've shared this with you before, many of you, but, but I remember waking up in the middle of the night about 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, I I had gone to bed with a little bit of discomfort. I thought it was relative to a hot dog I'd eaten earlier. But about 2 o'clock in the morning, I woke up in the most agonizing, tormented, demon-possessed pain I had ever experienced in my life. I mean, I was, I'd never had a pain like that in my life. And I remember reaching over on the, to the telephone and I knew my doctor, I had my doctor's personal number because we were friends and did things together, hunted and so forth. And it was two o'clock in the morning, I called him. I didn't even wake Becky up. I grabbed the phone immediately. I was dying. And I said, he answered the phone. I said, doc, I said, I'm so sorry to wake you up, buddy. He said, what's wrong? And, uh, and, and I told him, I said, I'll never forget the words I told him. I, these, these were my exact words. I'll never forget them. I said, something inside of me has either bursted or come loose. <laughs> That's the only thing I could think of. And he said, where does it hurt? And I told him generally where, I said, it hurts all over. But he said, where specifically? I said, right. I told him generally where it was. And he just sort of grunted. He was an older guy. He was an older doctor. He just, very experienced and knowledgeable. He just sort of grunted and said, hmm, sound like a kidney stone to me. And indeed, that's what it was. I'd never had a kidney stone, had no idea what it was, but that's what it was. And I was thinking, what in the world is happening to me? Sometimes we have that thought. What in the world is happening? What in the world is it that God has such a strong perspective on that he wants us to, 
to understand this truth. You know, there's an old saying I've heard people say, Christians are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. You've heard that statement. And what that implies is that sometimes Christians have a way to over-spiritualize everything. And we're so sort of aloof and spiritual in our little world that we really can't relate to what people go through in their own life and in, in real life. And, and there's a tendency not to be authentic and genuine and transparent. And they're so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. I, don't, I, I, I hope I'm, I'm, I don't get that way and I'm never that way. But I tell you another problem that I think is greater than that is that there's a lot of church members who are so earthly-minded that they're no heavenly good. They're so connected to this world that they're not making an impact for the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to notice what, what John said here in this book. He said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. I mean, it's very clear there. So apparently, and he's writing here to the, to the church, to believers. So apparently there are some things that we are not supposed to love. Well, if you don't love something, then it, by implication, it could mean that you actually hate it. Now, we're not to hate people. He's talking about something else here. In fact, there are some things, Christians, that we really are supposed to hate. I hate abortion. I made that clear last Sunday. But, but, but there's a lot of things that as believers, we're some people think, well, we're just supposed to love everything all the time and everybody. There's a verse in the Bible in Psalm 97 verse 10 that says, you who love the Lord hate evil. And then, folks, in order to love some things, you have to hate other things. In fact, you can't have love without hate. It's hate that gives love definition. Just like you cannot have an in without an out, you can't have an up without a down, you can't have a hot without a cold. If you love health, you're going to hate germs. If you love flowers, you're going to hate weeds. If you love cleanliness, you're going to hate dirt. And if you love the Lord, you're going to hate evil. The Bible says, abhor that which is evil. And so he says, love not the world. So if we're going to have a Christian worldview, we need to understand what it means. What does he mean when he says, love not the world? You know, sometimes the Bible... Um, Sometimes a good way to understand what the Bible is, is saying is to understand what the Bible is not saying. The use of the word world in, in, in the Bible, uh, there's two or three different uses of it. Uh, sometimes whenever the Bible uses the word world, it's talking about the planet Earth, the physical Earth, the planet. The Bible says in Acts 17, verse 24, that God made the world and all things in it. The Bible says in Psalms 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In other words, he's not, when he says we're not to love the world, he's not talking about something he made, and when he made it, he said it is good. 
That's not what he's talking about. If God made this world, the planet, the physical place, it, we're not to hate that. Material things in and of themselves are not evil. You know, I, I appreciate our world, our globe, our planet. Now, I'm not an extreme, uh, you know, tree-hugging kind of person, but I, I think we ought to be good stewards of that which, which God created and God provided. I'm all about cleaner rivers, cleaner streams, and cleaner air. So he's not talking about the world as the planet, the physical planet. He makes that clear. And, and whenever he uses the word world and he tells us we're not to conform to the world, we're not to love the world, and we're not to be friends with the world, he's not talking about the people of the world. All of you know John 3.16, right? The Bible says God so loved what? The world. And so when it, whenever he's saying, don't be conformed to the world, love not the world, don't be friends with the world, <clears throat> he's not talking about the people because the Bible says God loves the people. When he uses the word, so sometimes when the word world is used, it's talking about the physical planet. Sometimes when the word world is used, it is talking about the people. When God says, for God so loved the world, he's talking about human beings. And so we're to love everyone as God loves everyone. God, listen, God loves every, he loves all people. I mean, God loves everybody. You know, he, he, he loves people who, who've had abortions. Uh, he loves people who have committed crimes. Uh, he, he loves the perverts, the bartenders, the murderers, the prostitutes. God, did you know there's nothing you can do that would make God love you any less? God loves you with a perfect love, every person in this room. And there's nothing you can do that would make God love you anymore. He just loves you. And we're to love one another. He hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. And here's the truth I just want to put in the pocket of your heart. He doesn't love us because we're good. Sometimes we think we've got to really be good to deserve or to earn the love of God. Let me tell you something. God does not love you because you're good. You are good because God loves you. And I want to tell you something else. He doesn't love you because you're valuable. You are valuable because he loves you. It is his love that gives us value. God loves. The Bible says, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love for you. So whenever the Bible says about a worldview, when the Bible says, conform not to the world, love not the world, do not be friends with the world, what therefore is the Bible talking about when it uses the word world? Well, the, it's, and I don't mind telling you, it's a little hard to define. So I, I want you just to stay with me for just a moment. Let me see if I can help you, church, because I want us as a church family to have this Christian worldview. Whenever the Bible uses the word world in the context of saying, when it says conform not to the world, 
love not the world, do not be friends with the world. It uses the Greek word cosmos. We get our word cosmopolitan from that word. It means, it means an order. It means a system. It means an ideology. Um, cosmos, the word itself, it, it has to do with order or system. Uh, we get our word cosmetic uh, from that word. You know, whenever a lady puts on cosmetics, um, she's putting things in order, right? Um, and believe me, there is a system to it. Cosmopolitan is an organized city. It has a system of operation. We use the word world like this all the time. Uh, we talk about the world of sports. Uh, we're talking about a system, an organization. Uh, we talk about the world of finance. I've heard people talk about the world of commerce. I've heard people talk about the world of industry. In other words, we're talking about an, an organization, a system. It can even be referencing to an attitude. So whenever the Bible says, now love not the world, God is talking about this, this system, this organization, this cosmos that constitutes everything around us as far as the idea of non-believers, non-children of God. It's a way of thinking. Well, he actually describes it. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 2. And look with me back in verse 15. He gives a little definition here. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, because if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now here it is. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. And this world's passing away, and the lust thereof. So everything that is not of the Father is of the world. Now, next week, perhaps, we're going to look more specifically at those, at, at those three things, the, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. We're going to look at those things. But for right now, just understand that everything that is not of the, our Heavenly Father is not of the world. So the world, therefore, is Satan's organized system to oppose everything that is holy everything that is righteous, everything that is godly. So anytime you watch a movie or you see merchandise or you overhear conversation or you listen to a song or you listen to a music, and if it, is not, if it does not bring glory to the Lord, if it is not holy, if it is not righteous, if it's not godly, it's of the world. It's of the world system. So the purpose of the world is to, is to stand in opposition to that which is godly. Now, this world system, by the way, it's got a ruler. Jesus identified the ruler of this world. Uh, look in 1 John, since we're there in chapter 5, 
and verse 19 and 20. And we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. We are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now, a couple of things. I want you to remember this phrase in verse 20 where it says, we are in him. Just remember that. I'm going to circle back to that. We are in him. That is, we are in Jesus. But I want you to go back and look in verse 19. We know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And that's what it says in the King James. The Greek here um, in this passage, there is a definite article before the word wickedness, which makes that word a direct object. And what it's really saying, and some of your translations may have this, the whole world lieth in the wicked one. It's a reference here to the devil, to Satan. The wicked one is controlling. But to get a little more specific, go to the Gospel of John chapter 12 and look in verse 31. John chapter 12 and verse 31 says, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Jesus here is talking about his death. But he refers to the wicked one. He refers to Satan as the prince of this world. Now, now church, I, I realize that we're going down a little deep this morning, and, but I'm trying to help you formulate a biblical foundation for a Christian worldview. We've identified now what the world is not, and we, we've, we've identified what God's attitude about the world is, and now we're trying to describe to you what indeed the world is when he says, love not the world, be not conformed to the world. Well, it's a system, it's an attitude, it's a thought, it's a sort of an organization that stands in opposition to things that are holy, now, we are to love the people, but we're not to love the system that uses the people. And I want you to see what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 and look, if you will, in uh, verse 1. And you hath he quickened, that is, he's made alive. I'm in Ephesians 2 verse 1. You were dead in trespasses and sins. And by the way, isn't that wonderful that we are people who were spiritually dead and God's made alive? I mean, that ought to make us excited. I mean, that, that just, that's just, if you just stop and think about that, we were dead spiritually and God has given to us life. And the wonderful thing about the life that God has given to us is not only that he's given to us life eternal, we all know that. God, we're going to, we're going to spend one day eternity with our loved ones and with the Lord Jesus and with all the saints of glory who's preceded us. We're going to heaven. We've got eternal life. That ought to get us excited. But I tell you what's even better than that. God, whenever he saved you, not only got you ready to go to heaven, he should have brought heaven to you. Because the Bible teaches that not only do we have life eternal, we have life abundant. We're dead people who have been made alive. That's reason to celebrate anyway. Look what else he says here in chapter 2. Verse 2. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. Now he says as a lost person, you were caught up 
in this cosmos. In times past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. He's the one who had influence over you. He's talking about the devil here. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's this worldly system. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation, that means behavior, in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. So here's what he's saying. Every unsafe person is a part of this world system. And the world, the prince, and the people stand in direct opposition to the righteousness of God. Now, whenever a person gets saved, whenever you come to know Christ as your Savior, you change addresses. God moves you spiritually from this world to his kingdom. We are kingdom people. He places us in the kingdom of God. And he describes a little bit about this kingdom living. If, you just, if you're there in Ephesians chapter 2, look now in verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened, that means made us alive together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. <laughs> oh, my soul. There's just so much truth here. Now we're not children of the world. We're sitting with Jesus in heavenly places. You say, what in the world does all that mean? What I'm saying is God changes who we are and where we are. When a person gets saved, God takes them out of the world system. He places them in the kingdom of God. They're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. In this room, there are people who are living in one of two places. You're either living in the world or you're living in the kingdom. So I guess the question is, well, where do you live? Look in the Gospel of John chapter 15. And I'm, I'm going to try to tie all this together here in just the next couple of minutes. But John chapter 15 and verse 18. This is what Jesus said. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And now listen carefully to what he's saying here. Verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. You say, Brother Gary, he has, I'm not out of this world, I'm still here. Yeah, you're still here, but you've, you've moved. When you received Christ, you became a new creature. That's what Paul talked about in Corinthians when he says, old things have passed away and all things have become new. And you just start looking, listen, you start looking at things differently because you're living spiritually in a different place. That's why I do have sympathy. I do have sympathy. 
for people who practice abortion, who, who, who commit other crimes or who do other things or other sins or, or some of these progressive, liberal, far-out thinking people. Yes, I disagree with them. Yes, it, it, it brings to, to, to bear in my heart, in my life, uh, indignation, righteous indignation. Yes, it angers me sometimes. But you know what? They just can't see it like I see it. And I, I, sometimes I think, why can't they see truth? Why do they say things that are so illogical, so dumb, so inconsistent with just civilization, civilized living? Why, why do people think like they think? Do what they do. It's because they're, they're, they have a different worldview. They are controlled by the prince of the world. The prince of the air. They're connected to that which stands in direct opposition to anything that is holy, anything that is righteous. And they look at us and they think we're weird. Jesus said, don't be surprised about that. They hated me. They crucified me. They hated me before they hated you. So don't be surprised when they hate you. They're living in a different place. They have a different perspective. That's why he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and I want you to see this. Keep your hand in John because we're coming right back. But 2 Corinthians chapter 6, look at, look at what Paul said here in verse 17. This is the call to Christians. This is your call, your responsibility. He said, verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. God says we're to come out and be separate. You know what really frustrates me? It's sometimes whenever I can't tell where the world stops and Christianity begins in a person's life because they're so worldly as a Christian, as a believer, that you can't, you, you can't distinguish between the two. Things just sort of get muddied and mingled. They drink with the world. They, you know, they carouse with the world. They go out with the world. They, do, they gamble with the world. They do this with the world. You, and, and, and you just can't tell, you know, where they are. That's why Paul said, come out. Separate yourself. Understand that you're living in a different place. One last verse. Let's go to John 15. Or pardon me, John 17. You know what? There's so much more here and you just saw me edit. <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to come back to this truth next Sunday, next Lord's Day, and I'm going to unveil some more truths to you about this. But you were so patient with me last Sunday that I'm going to have mercy on you this Sunday. And all God's people said... <laughs> But this is good stuff. I want you to look in John 17. This is what Jesus said. 
Verse 14. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not thou should take them out of the world. This is Jesus praying for us. And he says, I pray not that thou would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil. That is from the evil one, the evilness of the world, the world system, the world attitude, the world perspective. That's what Jesus is praying for us. And he says in verse 16, 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, because thy word is truth. We're, listen, God has not taken us out of the world. When we leave this place today, we're going into the world. When you go to work tomorrow, you're going into the world. When you go to school, you're going into the world. We are to be the light of the world. We're to be the salt of the earth. We're, God left us in the world. He didn't take us out of the world. We're of the world, but we're not to be in the world. We're, uh, we're, we're to be different. There ought to be some, we're to come out and separate ourselves, but it doesn't mean we forsake the world. And it's possible for God's people to be drawn back into the ways of the world. But I'm telling you, there, is, there should be a line. When you have a Christian worldview, there's just going to be a line of demarcation. The world doesn't understand you. They don't know what makes you tick. You are an indictment, a conscience to them, a source of consternation a source of conviction. You are light. They're living in darkness. And Jesus said, we are in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And I'll just sum it up like this. We have been called out of the world. We have been sent back into the world. We are to witness to the world. And that is the only business we have in the world. <laughs> We're not here to condemn the world. We're not here to condone the world. But we are here, Jesus gives us this commission, we are here to confront the world with his truth and with his love. A Christian worldview. Let's pray together.